0: Financial advisor, Justin Klein.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors. This is Luke Guerrero, and thank you for joining us on Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. And I want to welcome you back for the start of yet another trading week. I will be standing in again this week until Justin gets back next Monday. And I hope all of you who were fortunate enough to have yesterday off were able to relax and recuperate and are excited to get back into it as we have what I hope is a great show for you today. But keep in mind, regardless of what I have planned for you today, it's no different than any other day. As always, your calls and your questions are what help push us all forward. So I look forward to hearing directly from you anytime you want to call over this next hour to chart now, like I said at the top, we have some interesting show topics, which I'll preview for you all in a bit. But as we love to do before we get to that in the market today, let's kick it off by answering our first caller question that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART.
2: Hi, Justin and Luke. I'm calling today about Buckle secret symbol BKE. Found out about this company through you guys. I believe you guys just to hold it. Just check in if you guys still hold it now. I did collect a special dividend, wondering when they're going to pay it out, which was kind of nice. Let me know what you think about the...
1: Back
2: and the company right now. Thank
1: you very much. So, the question is about ticker BKE, which is Buckle Inc. engages in the business of retailing medium to better price casual apparel, footwear, accessories, etc., for young men and women. So, we do still own Buckle for some clients. Uh, it's had a little bit of a drawdown over the past couple weeks, uh, but nothing that is too frightening in our opinion. And that's because its price to book is settling at around four relative to its competitors, who are more in the 9 to 10 range, uh, Buckle seems undervalued to us. So now, that doesn't mean that over the short term, it couldn't go down even more. It looks like it had a pretty steep drop-off towards the end of the year going into January, but there was a special dividend. And the cash flows remain constant. Profitability has remained intact over the past three years. And, you know, there's a little bit of short interest there, almost almost 10%, but as we've mentioned before, That could point to the market suggesting that it's overvalued, which we don't really think it is. One of the reasons why the price has fallen off is because the company had less than stellar growth over the past year. But again, it's not anything that looks to alter the fundamentals of this company. They have very little debt. Their profitability is still there. Their cash flow is still there. So for now, we're holding. We're not adding any more to our position, but we are certainly still holding on to this name. Uh, we still think that it is undervalued, especially relative to its competitors in the space. Thanks for the call. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. Here's some of what we have planned, time permitting. My main focus point today concerns this question, what will retail look like in five years? Some of the industry's key decision makers expect even more evolution to head as they, as they got together for a summit hosted by CNBC. So we'll talk about that. And a little later on, we'll discuss the war in Ukraine and how the war in Europe boosts the U.S. economy overall. European rearmament and American aid to Ukraine flows back mostly to the U.S. industrial base. We'll also be talking a little bit about some conversation that's been circling around the investment landscape over the past few weeks, given how roaring the market has been, and that is, should you put all your savings into stocks? We also, time permitting, may get to a conversation about property debt and how it could affect U.S. banks as we head deeper into 2024. Now, we have some Caller Voice Bank questions as well, which we're ready to play, including one on Barrick Gold Corp, G-O-L-D, and Adidas. Adidas. A-D-D-Y. Let's talk about the market performance today. Overall, U.S. equities finished lower in what was a fairly quiet trading Tuesday, not much going on in terms of economic reports. Uh, Probably most notably, as the S&P 500 was down 60 basis points, I believe, today, the equal-weighted S&P 500 was only down about 23, so a lot of the drag down was related to big tech uh, ahead of NVIDIA earnings that should be coming after the close tomorrow. Small caps more than erased. Uh, all the gains they had last week, treasuries firming up a little bit with some bull steepening going on. Uh, the dollar index was down 30 basis points and gold was up 80. And uh, notably, WTI crude reversing its trend from the past couple of days, down 1.8% after those past few days of gains. Overall, there was a lot of drag in the semiconductor world as investors await NVIDIA earnings, like I mentioned, tomorrow. Uh, also on the heels of some hot inflation data from last week. In the world of m and Capital One announced it's seeking to acquire discovery in an all-stock deal valued at more than $35 billion, uh, which caused some pressure on MasterCard and Visa, as that merger, should it go through, would create a company that holds, I think, around over 20% of the total credit card market. As we look forward to tomorrow, FOMC meeting minutes will be released, as well as, I've mentioned it two times already, NVIDIA earnings, which could not only affect that company, but the sector, or rather the subsector as a whole. Now we're going to do a quick break. Please remember you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley, call now at 888 99Chart.
3: Invest talk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about
2: intel if it's worth holding on to, or should I sell it?
3: Their questions are curious.
2: Hello. I have saved up around $80,000, and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Uh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit.
3: Concerned.
2: Uh, It's taken quite the tumble today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long.
3: And clever.
2: does seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population.
3: And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero are always ready
4: with their unbiased answers. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield, don't
1: chase the yield. Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30. I just don't see it at this price.
3: Don't forget to call Invest Talk 99 chart Everybody wants a secure financial future, that means you'll have finance and investment questions. Talk. 888-99-CHART.
1: We have Sam from San Francisco who's calling about PLTR, Palantir Technologies. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it?
5: I'm looking to buy it.
1: Yeah, so for those who don't know, Palantir Technologies engages in the development of data integration and software solutions. And it's really... Seen a rise recently on the back of uh, the tech and artificial intelligence run-up. And because of that, its price to sales right now is 25, which is incredibly staggering. The growth rate that is required to justify um, that in the long term is, is something that most companies don't achieve. Its price to earnings for looking is 72 right now. Its price to book is 15. This is a growthy, 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 growthy name. And it had a bad day today, as a lot of the, a lot of the AI-focused names have, uh, as a result of maybe some anticipation of NVIDIA earnings uh, coming out tomorrow. But certainly, there's a little bit of repositioning. Overall, these names, in my opinion, are way overvalued. I'm not saying it's a bad company. I'm just saying that I, I don't like it at this price. So I would certainly wait for a further drawdown. Um, it looks like a lot of analysts as well are, are, are marking this more as a hold. Or a sell than a buy at these prices too. So that's that. That's Palantir Technologies (PLTR). Thanks for the call. Now well, Let's keep things moving and swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier on 88899 chart. Hello,
2: Justin. This is Chris from New York. I uh, want to get your thoughts on ticker Gold (GOLD). Uh, it's currently one and a half percent of my portfolio, down about thirty percent. I uh, want to get your thoughts as if it's a buy, hold, or sell at these levels. Um, I figured, you know, with gold going over uh, 2000 per ounce, you know, the dollar is pretty high right now. I was thinking that would drop too, that the stock would rebound. I want to get your thoughts on the company. I look forward to hearing the answer on your podcast. Thank you. Bye.
1: So the question is about Barrick Gold Corporation, G-O-L-D, and it's a miner, And the important thing to know about Barrick Gold relative to other gold miners is they made a significant shift in focus to incorporate copper into their mining operation as well. So given where copper demand has been, and given what's been going on in the macro economy, it kind of makes sense that this is drawn down a little bit. Now, we've talked about it before on this show that as the Fed starts to pivot and the outrageous quote-unquote risk-free yields aren't as available to investors, that's when they start to reshift their focus into assets such as gold. So it isn't a pure gold play, uh, because like I said, they made that shift into also incorporating copper, but it's still a good company. It has a strong balance sheet. It has mining assets that have a long company life. It's it's diversified. But so even, even if you see that shift in gold, When interest rates do start to pivot, it won't have as high of a positive effect on Barrick because of its diversity. Like I said, it's not a pure gold play. Does that make it a bad play? No, it's trading at essentially its book value. I think it's a fine company. Um, And if you see the turn in the commodity prices, it will certainly benefit as well. But just keep in mind, if you are investing in Barrick Gold Corporation, it also invests in copper. It's not a pure gold miner. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today concerns this question. What will retail look like in five years? And as I mentioned before, some key industry leaders were brought together for a summit. And they had a lot to say. Because it's no surprise that the retail industry, not just luxury retail, but retail broadly has had to navigate some pretty tough waters after COVID. And in the wake of that, as with most industries, it's still evolving. So keeping that in mind, how do we as investors evaluate the likelihood of changes, and how should that inform our decisions, is probably the most important question when we're talking about this sector. So what are the role of stores? How will consumers' experiences change? What shifts towards size and efficiency? These are all important questions. And top executives, those retail leaders in 2024, got together. And here were some important comments from the summit that I wanted to share with you. So executive from Aber- Abercrombie & Frit- Fitch said that there's going to be a transition in store designs broadly highlighting the importance of location and a blend of physical and digital orders. And that was also echoed by the leader of Levi Strauss, who points out to the evolving function of stores as experiential hubs. One thing that was really interesting to me came from the leader of Neiman Marcus group who said that stores essentially aren't going to be stores anymore. They're going to be quote, multi-sensory experiences, multi-sensory experiences that transport consumers into themed environments. And so the discussion itself seems to me to also be focused around the technological forces that are shaping not just retail, but everybody. And how those will probably play a pivotal role in not just simplifying, but personalizing the retail experience going forward. So in my opinion, the most notable takeaway here is that retail and their leaders tended to emphasize that they were innovating in the retail space, but still going to keep a focus on brick and mortar stores. They acknowledged how significant physical stores were, while also realizing that a lot of people are turning to online shopping. So, brands that can successfully navigate this, they can provide that multi sensory experience and give people reasons to go to their stores and buy their products, are probably going to be the ones that are most successful in 2024 and beyond. And this technological trend will probably only intensify because innovations like AI, like I said before, are going to drive personalization. They're probably going to be cutting costs, have fewer employees, increasing margins. So, the emphasis from these companies, and one that everybody should be observant of when choosing to invest, is which ones are spending the money to innovate and keep their customers coming back day after day. This is Invest Talk, now with almost 58 million downloads. We're going into a break, but feel free to call anytime you'd like. The number is 888
3: 99 Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there that depends on many variables the more you learn about how the market works the better your chances so don't forget to call invest talk 888-99-CHART
2: hey what's up this is eric from san diego been watching the show a while and i just had a question on adidas stock looks decent price wise much lower than it's been for for quite a while so just wanted to get your thoughts on the price as it is today and a potential buying point, but looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. And thanks for everything you guys do. Bye.
1: So, The question is about Adidas ticker ADDYY. For those of you who don't know the trivia, it's called Adidas because their founder's name was Adi Dossler. So Adidas shortened that name and it engages in the distribution of mostly athletic clothing and sporting lifestyle products. And looking at it, its price to book is not egregious. It's at a six, especially relative to its competitors. Its earnings per share is falling, which is worrisome, as is its cash flow. And in the last year, they made a surprise decision deciding not to write off their Yeezy inventory, which is good. That certainly had a positive impact on the stock price but it's pretty much been moving in lockstep with the market over the past 5 years. Its its beta is essentially 1 how it moves relative to the market. And although the CEO recently said that he sees them on the path to becoming a double digit grower again, I just I don't see it right now. I think the price is pretty fairly valued. I think the market has taken into consideration the fact that they lost a large portion of their brand when they stopped selling Yeezy Apparel, or rather cut back from selling and producing Yeezy Apparel, uh, which was one of the big drivers and differentiators between them and some of the other large sporting goods companies, those Adidas original brands. And so as we're moving forward and you see the rise of companies like, you know, private companies like Roan and and 10,000 and Yori and all these niche athletic apparel brands, I just think the competition is far greater than it's been for a long time and Adidas still has some real problems before uh, that they have to solve before, before it proves to me that in the long run they can, they can be a grower once again. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot to a conversation about the war in Ukraine and Europe more broadly. And, and the debate around, our support for Ukraine has mostly been about strategic interests or morality or preserving Western influence. But there's also another argument to it that's important to realize, and that's an economic one. Because since Russia invaded about two years ago, the defense industry has seen a significant increase in orders, not only from our allies in Europe – who are justifiably frightened about the first ground war in Europe in, since World War II, but also from our own government, who has to replenish the stockpiles of weapons that were sent to Ukraine. And because of this, there's been a surprising and remarkable 17.5% rise in industrial production in the U.S. defense sector. And so a notable portion of the financial aid to Ukraine, specifically around 64% of the nearly 60 billion over 60 billion from the recently $95 billion defense bill is expected to flow directly back into us's defense and industrial base. And that's not just a reinvigoration of the defense sector, but it's about bolstering the U S military's capabilities which has the knock-on effect of economically stimulating the production capabilities of the United States. And so the surge in European spending on U.S. military hardware is what some have been calling a generational type of investment that they did not expect and certainly didn't think would be seen given it's been a relatively peaceful time over the past several decades in terms of big power conflict. So beyond military aid, the conflict has also reshaped global energy. European demand for U.S. LNG, liquefied natural gas, soared as Russian gas supplies dwindled. The U.S. has become the world's largest LNG exporter with significant investments over the past couple years. And that's all a result of the war. The shift, alongside the 50% increase in foreign direct investment into the U.S., has been incredibly beneficial to the U.S. economy and is one of the drivers as to why it's diverging from the rest of the global world, the developed global world. So while defense spending has undoubtedly spurred growth in the military-industrial complex, it is still complex in how it's affected the overall economy. But one fact that is undeniable is that the current situation has created this opportunity to strengthen the U.S. industrial base in a way that nobody thought possible because the changing geopolitical landscape has supported job creation in multiple states. And so when you think about what support from the U.S. means, it means investment in a way, economically, in ourselves. Now on the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this question: are you considering undervalued stocks with reliable dividends? Morningstar believes that the best dividend stocks are not simply the highest yielding dividend stocks. Instead, they suggest that investors look beyond a stock's yield and choose stocks with durable dividends and buy those stocks when they're undervalued. That's tomorrow, but for now, I'm Luke Guerrero and I'm ready to take your calls. 888
4: 99 Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. Why? I mean, how would it come in handy and where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone with millions of users It's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built in patented speech recognition engine called true accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with Hacker One's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. hackerone.com.
3: Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888-99-chart.
5: Hello, Justin and Luke. This is Paulo from Gatesburg calling. I have a question today about how to properly assess a growth company. Could you guys please explain like, what are the indicators you look at when you want to analyze a growth stock? I specifically have company Skywork Solutions. I uh, want to add some more shares on, but I'm not sure if it's actually still a growth stock because I think the revenue declined. So maybe by definition, it's not anymore. So could you please explain like, how to assess a growth stock, and um, maybe worth the example of Skyworks solution if it's a buy here at this price. Have a good one, and uh, bye-bye.
1: I wanted to point out first with the call about SWKS Skyworks is the question about value versus growth. And when financial practitioners talk about a growth company or a value company, what they mean is... How does it rank relative to other companies in terms of their price compared to some fundamental value? Historically, that's been book value. It could be cash flow. It could be sales. It could be earnings. It could be any metric that is fundamental. And so what are you paying for that fundamental metric? So growth companies tend to have higher prices relative to their fundamental metrics, so a price-to-book that is high would denote a growth company. A price-to-book that is lower, meaning the price you're paying for the assets, in case of the book, or the the dollars in terms of cash flow, is lower, is value. Especially compared to the rest of the sector, Skyworks right now has value orientation. Its price-to-book is 2.7, which... Other companies within this space, for those of you who don't know, it's a semiconductor company, have wildly high valuations. So I would call Skyworks a more value-related play as a chip maker than a growth play. So that's important to note as well. Historically, we've seen over longer periods of time, value outperforms. Why is that? It's because you're paying a more reasonable price for the earnings or the cash flow or the assets book value you are receiving. So when you take a look at companies... You want to look at it on a relative pricing basis to what you're paying for. Sometimes it makes sense to pay a lot for future earnings. But sometimes you're just paying a lot of money to get less. Thanks for the call. Now let's shift our focus on to an idea that's reared its head again, which is Should you invest everything you own in stocks and nothing else? And that's because this year has certainly kicked off with a bang. The S&P 500 surpassed 5,000. It's below it now, but surpassed 5,000 for the first time ever. Only two months into the year. And so most of that has been driven by tech giants, Meta, NVIDIA. But it certainly gets people talking. And so there's some, let's say, interesting ideas that come out of the woodwork every time the market roars. And that one this time is, should we just fully invest in equities? And so, you know, research is kind of challenging the traditional investment wisdom, which is diversify amongst uncorrelated asset groups and saying, maybe you should just invest in American and global stocks, especially younger people. Because it's outperformed the conventional mixed approach in the long stretch going back to 1890. And so there's also a school of thought that not only should you invest wholly in stocks, but you should lever up and borrow money to do it the same way that you borrow money to buy a house, get get equity in a home. And so the idea, which seems a little radical, isn't too outlandish if you think of it within the framework of what you do when you buy a home. And so Cliff Asness of AQR, very large hedge fund, kind of counters this by saying, uh, "I don't know. I don't think. I don't think, as I've said, that you should just be thinking about return because you shouldn't. It's a risk story. So yes, over the long term, you have." Outperformance. But in the short term, you have a lot of volatility. And investing isn't just about return, it's about risk. So, on a risk adjusted basis, maybe not so much. And so, you know, it's even more complex because of the relatively brief history of financial markets. If you look at Certain samples, you'll see certain things. Much of the research supports superior stock performance, frankly. And the data often dates back to the late 19th century. But should you be using data from the 1800s to denote the world as it is today? If you go even further back, if you want to be fair, a longer historical lens would show that for a very long period of time, bonds outperform stocks. So I, what I want to say is anytime you hear these ideas that challenge the conventional wisdom and do it in a way that, frankly, is fine. They use data and they do a good job of it and, and the regressions bear out. You have to have the frame of reference, which is, is the world the same as it was throughout this entire sample? And what should the goals of investing be? Because yes, if it frankly, you could outperform by owning 100% stocks. But you also are going to have a lot of volatility and depending on when you want to withdraw that cash, it may not be there. So understand that investing, as I've said, is not just a story about return. It's a story about managing risks for the future. And now when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes. We like to thank them by getting to their questions quickly. And Spencer from Athens, Georgia said, I'd like the analysis you might have on two REITs I'm interested in, PEAK, P-E-A-K, and O. I like PEAK because it's in the healthcare space. I like O because it's well-diversified, mostly in the single-tenant retail space. Both seem to be struggling with high interest rates at the moment and near long-term lows. I think in the short to medium term, we will see rates come down slightly closer to the 4.5% mark. Just wanna make it known? I'm not chasing a dividend, which, though Justin is on vacation, would make him very happy, because he likes to say, don't chase yield. Now, looking at both of these companies, Peak and O are REITs. O is actually one of the oldest REITs, I believe. Realty Income Corporation. And in their history, they've never cut a dividend they have never cut their quarterly dividend which is impressive now peak is healthcare health peak properties and they cut their dividend in 2021 peak is yielding around 7% right now i believe 7.1% o is yielding around 5.9 and so The question becomes, why are you investing in these specific REITs? O specifically, O is a massive, massive REIT. Its market cap is around $45 billion. You're not going to see generally growth in price from those types of REITs that are that large. And so you invest in REITs primarily for diversification benefits, yes, and income. And from from my perspective, where we are now... If you want yield, invest in short-term treasuries or maybe even go and take on some credit risk and invest in high, high investment grade corporate bonds. The risk associated with what could happen if higher for longer becomes stable for a long period of time relative to these companies is a big price hit in your initial investment. So if you're seeking income Given where bonds are and treasuries are right now, that's where you should be looking. And I would caution against anybody who wants to put money in office space. And a little bit later, we'll talk about why that's a bad idea. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero, hosting today so that Justin Klein can enjoy a day off. Let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888
2: 99 Chart. Hi, Justin and Luke, um, sending best well wishes to Steve. Hope to hear him again on the show soon. Today, my question is on my employer's 401k plan. I've been maxing out the Roth 401k that my employer offers but i'm curious if i'm doing myself a disservice by at least not putting a fraction of that maybe a 50 50 split or a 75 25 split into a, the traditional 401k portion i understand that later in life hopefully my tax bracket is a little bit lower so taxes are lower which gives that traditional a little bit of advantage over paying the taxes today but just curious if you lean one way or another, I am in my mid-30s, so I've still got quite a bit of time left until retirement age. So just curious if you'd still go 100% Roth 401k or if you do prefer some sort of split for later in life. Thanks again. I'll listen on the
1: podcast. Bye-bye. Well, first and foremost, it's excellent that you are maxing out your contribution. That's fantastic. The first bit of advice is it doesn't matter where you put it as long as you're doing it. And so, great job doing it. Secondarily, maybe you do want to consider it. And that's something that you hit on, which is tax diversity. Because if you anticipate being in a higher tax bracket in retirement, the Roth is beneficial since you pay taxes now. Conversely, if you're going to be in a higher tax bracket then, you may want to be in the traditional. So, thinking about returns isn't just thinking about the percentage return you get from your investments, but it's the after tax return. So does it matter where you're putting your money? Maybe. Again, the most important part is that you're doing it. But I don't see any harm in giving yourself a little bit of tax diversity as well so that later down the road, you've got options. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk about something that I hinted at a little bit earlier, which is bad property debt. And so just under a year ago, last spring, most of you will recall, certainly certainly we do, that markets were reeling, is a nice way to put it, from a regional banking crisis. And back then, it was related to duration risk. People were... Seeking yield when interest rates were historically low, when rates went up, the value of those holdings, which were safe holdings, went down dramatically. And a bunch of regional banks had to recognize losses. Some collapsed. Some got purchased. Was not a fun time to be invested in regional banks. And so in the early months of 2024, the U.S. banking sector seems to be grappling with a different yet equally significant challenge, and that is bad commercial real estate loans, which have surpassed the loss reserves of not regional banks, but the country's largest banks. Now, what's the source of this? Well, a notable increase in delinquent payments, specifically on loans tied to commercial properties Think offices and shopping centers, retail space, similar to that collar question that came in earlier. So the six major banks, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citi, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, on average have seen their reserves drop to 90 cents for every dollar of commercial real estate debt. That is at least 30 days overdue. Now, what was that number last year? $1.60 per dollar of delinquent debt. So what caused this well delinquent commercial property debt nearly tripled to 9.3 billion within the last year that's what happened then it doesn't really stop there because on the grander scale the sector has seen delinquent loans connected to commercial properties more than doubling last year to 24.3 trillion up from 12 Overall, banks now hold $1.40 in reserves for every dollar of delinquent commercial real estate loans, a significant decrease from a year ago when it was $2.20. And that's the lowest it's been in over seven years. And so we'll talk about how that manifests itself within the banking landscape after we get back from this short break. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero and we have one goal here to help you achieve your financial freedom. And our work continues after this break together. So get your questions in now. You can call anytime 888-99
3: This is Invest Talk. Please tell your friends and family members that they can download our weekday podcast for free anytime at investtalk.com or iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And when you download and listen, please be sure to rate our podcasts. Our anytime listener line is open,
1: 888-99-CHART. So before the break, we were discussing bad property debt. And so we talked about what the picture looks like on paper. And now I think it's important to talk about how that manifests itself in a bank and in the market and in the real world. And so enter New York Community Bank, which saw more than half of its market value erased after revealing a couple hundred million in previously undisclosed potential losses, specifically within its commercial property loan portfolio. And so the problem is that risk models... And return models operate on assumptions, and those assumptions have changed. Commercial properties, particularly, I'll say it again, office spaces, are facing high vacancy rates after COVID. So naturally, there's a growing concern that property owners may struggle to service their debts. What happens after that? Foreclosures. What happens after that? A lot of banks trying to recoup their assets by selling properties property values plummeting, not good. But many of the major banks are saying they're prepared because they've been bolstering their reserves in anticipation of these rising delinquencies. And so this is important because commercial lending is the backbone of most developed economies and their credit systems. And the world has changed post-pandemic. So the balance between maintaining sufficient reserves and fostering economic growth through lending, is delicate. So investors have to be aware that these assumptions can and do change over time and they should also maybe affect how you invest your money. Now, before we head off, let's uh, go back for one more caller question. Came into to chart I
2: had a question. I've invested in a stock called AMZA, or the ticker is AMZA, I had a couple questions about this. First of all, what's y'all's opinion on this stock? As well, they are structured as a C-corporate stock, and I just want to know the ramifications behind taxes and uh, other inside information on this that I don't quite understand fully. Again, the ticker is AMZA, and I was just asking about uh, the C-corporation structure, and also thumbs up or thumbs down, as Justin would say. Have a great one, y'all. Thanks.
1: So the question was about AMZA, which is the InfraCap MLP ETF. And so sometimes with these ETFs, I don't necessarily have a view into them. Unfortunately, that's the case here. So I can't give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down on this ETF specifically. But what I can tell you is that sometimes these do structure as C-corporations. So what is a C-corporation? People think about C-corporations as most companies, which is corporations that are taxed At the corporate level. And then when they pass through dividends and earnings, they're also taxed at the individual shareholder level as well. So that's going to be the case for this. That differs from most ETFs or mutual funds or uh, real estate investment trusts, because when you think about those, they pass everything through directly, right? They're kind of tax sheltered at the top level, and then the investors pay the taxes themselves. So that's not going to be the case with these MLP ETFs, you're going to pay. They're going to pay taxes at the corporate level as that MLP ETF structure, and then you pay taxes as well. So that's one implication. Another is kind of simplified tax reporting. So when you invest in an MLP, you get a K one. Uh, in this case, I don't believe you get a K one. I think it's a 1099. You'd have to check with somebody who has more tax experience than I do. So that's just two of the differences between a normal ETF and one of these MLP ETFs, especially if it's structured as a C-corporation. But as always, if you have a question related to taxes, it's best to seek the advice of a tax professional. Thanks for the call. Now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and this completes another episode of Invest Talk. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social media and learn more at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk
0: is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice. Or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security? Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.